Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much to our little people today. Unreal. I had to laugh because we're measuring the growth of our grandson in our, in our pantry. And I don't know if your child or grandchild is similar to ours, but ours has grown three inches since school has started. Unreal. The amount of growth in the kindergartners. Fabulous. This week is Championship Sunday. And I kind of like Championship Sunday because we're just down to four teams. And I wonder which team you're going to follow. Which one are you going to look at this afternoon and you're going to say, you know what, if they make it to the Super Bowl, it's the best. I kind of like the Ravens. They're awesome. I kind of like their coach, Coach Harbaugh. I kind of like the defense. I kind of like Lamar Jackson. They're no nonsense. They're kind of old school. The running back catches the ball in the, in the open field and the safety comes up and drills them. It's just good football there in Baltimore. But they've got to play the Chiefs. And the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. What else do you need to say? He pulled that game out last week with Buffalo like unreal. I watched the Netflix special on him. It was very interesting to see the home he's building and outside of Kansas City and his language was very colorful. But that guy knows how to win some ball games. So that's the AFC, which I like to think of as the junior circuit of the NFL. <laughs> But the winner of the game of the Chiefs and the Ravens will eventually play the team that will destroy them, either the Lions or the Niners. And the Lions are such a good story. I've got friends from Detroit, and the joke coming out of Detroit last week, and I'm not kidding you, they said, do you remember when we texted the last time the Lions were in the playoffs? And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, no, because smartphones didn't exist the last time the Lions were in. It's real. That's a thing. I'm like, wow. But the roar is restored in Detroit. And their coach is a guy and their quarterback, Jared Goff. Actually, Jared Goff has connections back to St. John's. And it's hard not to cheer for him to kind of get up and, and do his thing. And the Niners, I think we can all agree that the Niners kind of limped into the game today after having barely beaten the Packer team that beat themselves last week. <laughs> Were it not for two dropped interceptions, a poor spot on a fourth down on the goal line, and some bad weather, I think the Packers probably would be there. So go Lions today. <laughs> Who will you follow? Who will you follow? The feast of the holy pigskin is two weeks away. Who will you follow? And it's fun, right? We laugh because it's fun. And we've already got the, the, the recipes and the menu set for the Super Bowl, and you've got it all figured out. But I'm reminded that football is only a game. Maybe that's why it's so much fun, because it's a game. From Mark chapter 1 today, our text, we think about what or whom we follow in our lives and why that's so important, why the, the meaning of life, why, why that life leaves an impact and an imprint on other people, especially those in our families. It's reflected by who or what we follow 
in our lives. Jesus comes across some men fishing by the shore and their, their, their work is in their hands. They're fishermen. They're, they're working on their nets by the Sea of Galilee, which is just beautiful and serene and kind of quiet. And Jesus comes up with the words, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And no, no sooner does that happen than Mark takes a breath and says, and they dropped their nets and followed him. Let's go. I think that's amazing. There didn't have to be a big argument. There didn't have to be the veracity of whether this is the Messiah. They dropped their nets and they followed him. And the disciples' lives were never the same, ever, ever. They went from nondescript lives of labor by a lake to leading the greatest, most pervasive movement in the history of humankind. They went from typical Galileans working with their hands to millions and millions of people who would be named Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And billions of people who would read the books and the letters that they wrote and that they would endure for over 2,000 years. It's unreal that them following Jesus would lead others to follow Jesus. So somehow, they dropped their nets and they followed Him and life was never the same for those guys again. But that begs a, a question for us. Who or what do we follow and what guides the behavior, the thinkings, and the attitudes of our lives? What is it that holds your life together, that guides everything you are and everything you do? Because whether or not we acknowledge it, there is like a, a core value. There's, there's something by which you make the decisions that make up the marvelous life you have. And I have a bias, right? I've raised my children, and so my grandchildren has to be raised by his mommy and daddy who are fantastic parents, better than I was. But it's very difficult to find time just to think and reflect a little bit about what life is all about and even more how life hangs together. But I think in this setting, these beautiful children and what we hold in common with church and school and Jesus... We get just a few precious moments to think about something that really matters in terms of finding meaning in our lives. For some people, they just go where the wind blows. They go from urgent to urgent to urgent, putting out fire after fire after fire in their lives, doing the best they can and hoping that sometime and in some way that all the things will work out, that all the tasks that they have to do and all the lists that they have to accomplish would somehow give them a sense of purpose and meaning. And typically people like that end up every day exhausted and wiped out with way more things to do than they had hours in the day to achieve them. And typically people who run like that from fire to fire to fire, if there's an extra fire somewhere that they didn't anticipate, they crash. Because there's no margin the least little aberration in life, one more little fire, and they crash. Others organize their lives around something that sounds really good at first and then turns out not so much. That piece ends up chewing them up. If the primary driver and organizing force is your job, then when the job goes well, you're doing great. But when the job goes poorly, crash and burn. 
If the primary driver is acceptance of others and others don't accept you, if the primary driver is addiction, what is the driver? What is the purpose? What is the meaning behind what you do and how you see the people around you in your life? And that might be the most important question that you answer throughout your mid-20s into your early 40s. Who am I? Who do I follow? And what am I all about? But make no mistake from this text from Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls you like He called those fishermen. He calls you to follow Him. And He calls you so decisively that following Jesus can change absolutely everything in your life. He calls you into a relationship with Himself that is so pervasive and so deep and so meaningful that it will change the way you see yourself, your family, your work, and all the things you got to do. In Romans chapter 12, St. Paul framed that meaning of life this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to Him. This is your true and proper act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect In view of God's mercy. Those who follow Jesus see life through the eyes of the mercy of Jesus. The disciples would see that. They, they, Jesus went through a list of stuff, and Mark's got it all there in, in, in his gospel. He healed the blind, the sick, the disabled. He preached the good news. He, he, he did all sorts of things, and the people at the time would watch him, and they'd go, check, 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 check suffered, died, and rose again. And all of a sudden, the list pointed to Jesus being the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the one who had come into the world and through whose life we would be able to view ourselves through the eyes of mercy. Every kindergartner can tell you Jesus died for me and Jesus loves me. And the seal of that love is the death of Jesus. Anything that God would hold against you or me was killed with Christ at the cross. And when we view ourselves and our lives through that lens, there's a liberation and a freedom in our hearts and in our lives. And it provides, that, that faith in Jesus provides an ordering of our lives. God calls us to Himself through faith in Jesus Christ. And that affects how we look at everything and everyone, how we think and what we feel, and helps us to find meaning to the life that God has given to us. And then we look at other people through the lens of God's mercy. Instead of looking to, to use them, which is kind of the Orange County way, I'll line up my guy and then I can use my guy and you can use my guy and we'll all be in good shape. But then, uh, no. We look at others through the lens of God's mercy. 
Rather than using people and loving things, we love people and use things. Rather than judging people, we offer mercy. Rather than running around with a sense of guilt in our heart, we view others and view ourselves through the eyes of Jesus. We look at ourselves and we look at others the way Christ looks at us, through the eyes of mercy. And that's following Jesus. He calls us into that relationship and says, follow me. And the holistic piece of that then is what works out in our lives. I love that. When Jesus calls us to follow, he wants everything we have and everything we are in his service. Now, don't jump to religion already. I was riding mountain bikes with a buddy of mine. And he goes, well, you know, my family's not that religious. I go, what does that mean? He goes, you know, you're a preacher. Religious. What, what does religious mean? I go, I don't know what religious means. Well, you're a religious guy. You wear the robes and all that stuff. I go, yeah, but religion is, that's how people outside of the faith talk, not people inside of the faith. Religion is what we do for God, right? How somehow we can assuage God's anger or guilt or whatever. But faith in Jesus Christ is what God has done for us. And it's that faith that changes everything about us. Finding and seeing your calling to follow Jesus, not in a religious way, but in a pious way, in the way of faith. Well, that's the way that gives your family energy. That's a way that orders events and creates priorities around a value system that's been tried and found successful for over 6,000 years. How about that? Staying power? Power of mercy over judgment? The power of kindness over anger? The power of freedom over guilt? All of the things of our lives, all of the relationships, all of them when viewed through the lens of God's mercy and following after Jesus. It's why the millennial generation is coming back to church. Because it tried everything else. Work and sports and education and sexuality, addiction. Tried all that stuff. None of that stuff worked. And here we are, 600 of us, sitting in church this morning, listening to children sing, finding a moment to meditate, and hearing a word and promise of God that reminds us that we are beloved to Him and that we belong to Him. So many in our services this morning, you all have great responsibility for little people, grandparents, parents aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters. There's so much responsibility and a ton of work that goes with all that responsibility. Raw work. So we frame this work and view this work not around what we got to do. I got to do all that stuff. Well, we got to go to church and then we got to get a donut and then we got to get home for the football game kickoff at 12. <laughs> But even more, we frame our work in the things we're called to do through the lens of God's mercy. And then our lives become gifts. And the people in our life 
they become gifts of God to us. And instead of what we got to do all the time, we see and view them and ourselves in view of God's mercy. So all the stuff hangs together by following Jesus. Laundry, dishes, making lunches, organizing rides, deciding what's for dinner, babysitting and arranging babysitting, and sports and life and work and recreation and money and time and all of those things. And on and on and on. We frame those as steps along the way of following Jesus and leading our children to do the same. You'll see the needles you run in your life, the needles that run in the red. Because after doing all the stuff, you're tired. You'll find that when you follow Jesus and view yourself and others through the eyes of God's mercy, that the needles in the red move down to the green. And you feel the anxiety of the calendar give way to the process and the love that you have for your family. And you'll see the transcendent peace of Jesus fill your heart in a way that maybe you've never experienced before. And that peace of God, which transcends all understanding, well, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And life, life will become a little bit richer and a little bit deeper and a little bit more meaningful. As you drop what you got to drop, rise up and follow Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.